0: This morning, our passage is found in First Corinthians, chapter one, verses four through nine. We are—it's uh, Labor Day—and I knew that I didn't know what that would do to the congregation. Often, we have visitors that are just checking out one time, and a lot of our regulars aren't here. So, I thought, this would be a good week to nail the Thanksgiving passage. That's the the funnest part of a, of a Pauline letter or Paul's letters. So he's being thankful for the uh, Corinthians and just. to to remind us, the Corinthians are rascals. I mean, they've they've written a letter to Paul asking him a lot of questions. And prior to his ability to answer that letter, some we're going to find this out next week, some people have come to him and explained what's really happening in the church. And so he's conflicted, and and his answer has to deal with both the, the factions in the church while still trying to answer their questions. And one of their biggest concerns and questions is, what do we do with spiritual gifts? We really want to be gifted. We really want to be powerful, be used. And so this is actually a pretty positive message. That's my hope anyway, because next week, man, it's going to go for the gut. So be ready for that. So this week's exciting. So if you'll hear the word of the Lord from First Corinthians chapter one, verses four through nine. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him This is the word of the Lord. Father, we give you praise that you are the one that has called us, you are the one that has gifted us, and you are the one that will bring us home. Yet, so often our lives feel somewhat disjointed from that reality. And I pray this morning through this passage, through this time, through this entire worship service, we would commune with you. We would see the beauty of your grace and walk in your ways, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, opening illustrations are always a little bit tricky, and I'm sitting there thinking, is this one going to work? You can tell me afterwards. Karate Kid, I've talked about it before, but not like this. Uh, That's an iconic movie from my childhood. Every kid, every little boy wants to be, especially someone that's not naturally strong and built, wants to be the guy that can win the girl and beat up the bully, right? That's what you want if you're a young boy. And, And Daniel wanted that, and he found out that the custodian could teach him, Mr. Miyagi, how to do karate. Remember? This is the original now, not the new one. So he goes over to Mr. Miyagi's house for lessons, and what happens? Does anyone remember? Because I'm struggling to remember all the details. Just kidding. Okay, remember, first thing he says is, go wash all the cars. Wax on, wax off. Remember that? Anyone? Does everyone? Okay. Then the next thing was paintbrushes, right? Because I'm actually going to need help on the third thing. So he had to learn how to paint with the paint stroke which came in handy at the very end. Remember the whole karate kick? Okay, what was the third one? Because I'm struggling to remember that. Does anyone have the third? Sand the floor. Thank you. Very good. That's how you learn karate. And so he, he did these disciplines, and he really wasn't sure why he was doing them. And then, of course, in Mr. Miyagi's brilliance, later when it was time to learn karate, he had this muscle memory. He had this ability, and then he beat the bully up and, and wins the girl and all is well until the sequel so that is the karate kid well what does that have to do with us the corinthians are told they long for these spiritual gifts they long for these goals these high and lofty gifts and in our passage paul is saying you're going to get these gifts in fact you've already got these gifts and he's beginning to show them what they are and i think what we do with gifts is we forget how they're going to come together for the final purpose And so here's how that illustration is trying to work. If you just focus on the gift that God has given you, on the things you're good at by itself, apart from the actual intended purpose, they're going to be useless gifts. They're not going to do their intended purpose. But when you see the things God has given you as being applied to His purposes, you're going to end with more than the girl and more than beating up the bully. You're going to end with glorifying God. You're going to end with longing to see Him return. And so... What Paul is setting as the goal, the end goal, is fellowship in the day of Christ. And so the question for us is, as you you think about your gifting, as you think about the gifts God has given you, do you see those as something that He is flowering in your life for His glory? Or do you see those things as things that you're trying to use for your own glory? That's the question I want you to be thinking about. And as we unpack that, we're going to look at where do these gifts come from uh, where do they get their power, and what are their what are they designed to do? The gifts. Now, part of the challenge of this sermon is, and, and this letter is, he will later unpack these in much more detail. But so we're not going to dive into giftedness, and we're not going to all take a spiritual gift survey this morning. But I want you just to have in mind that the spiritual gifts that we're referring to um, are things that they actually wanted. So remember, Corinth is a Roman colony. Uh, really built on a a Greek old city, and still in the Greco-Roman world, and they they highly valued wisdom and speech and oratory skills, right? That was their longing. And so, um, in fact, a a little bit later, in fact, at the end of this chapter and into the next chapter, Paul says things like, um, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world So he's questioning their view of wisdom. Later on, he will say in chapter 2, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he seems to be challenging these two words. But let's look at our passage. In verse 5, Paul is continuing the idea that God has given them grace in verse 5, that in every way, You were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. That's positive. And verse 7, So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Is he playing a trick on them? Is he kind of setting them up to just sucker punch them later? And the answer is no. The answer is we are gifted people. God has poured out His gifts. And here's the nice, convenient truth. These are actually things you want. These gifts that you have are actually things you might even like. The problem we have is we often have taken Christ out of them. We begin to pursue our gifts rather than Christ. So let's, let's look at the gifts a little closer. I want to just give you a couple of scenarios on what I think we do with gifts. I think one thing we do with spiritual gifts is we have the mentality of um, sort of the superhero, right? Here's the superhero mentality of spiritual gifts. I woke up one day. And I had X-ray vision, or I have fire; I can shoot from my hands, and it's a burden. But I'm going to go do good things with it. Okay, it's sort of like one day I woke up with a spiritual gift of knowledge. I don't know where it came from, but that's not what's going on here. Okay, the other extreme is um, a little bit more like kind of Narnia or you know any of these fantasy novels where they get like you get a bow and arrow, but you don't know why, or you get a little flask of drops, but you're not sure when to use them. And so we have. I think we have sort of these views of spiritual gifts. Like, I probably have something that at some. I'm seven foot two. I don't know why. And then one day you're like holding up the doorpost, and everyone's running under. And it's like, ah, oh, it all makes sense. That's not what's going on here. What's happening in our passage is they wanted speech and knowledge, and Paul is actually beginning his letter by saying God loves you, and God's actually meeting these desires. And he's actually given these gifts to you. So as I begin to look at this passage and think about it, I just want to make sure as we start off, this is impossible to do in one sermon. But my, I think one of the biggest mistakes Christianity makes in our time is we have separated the sacred from the secular. right? The secular is anything that's not religious, and the sacred is religious stuff. right? Um, so for example you're a great painter and you paint beautiful paintings and and they're really amazing and people really like them. And someone walks up and says, that's great. But you know how you can make that spiritual? You could take a little plaque and write a scripture verse underneath every one of those paintings and paste it on and that would make that a spiritual thing. And I want to say, no, actually, painting is spiritual. Everything we do is spiritual. There is no such thing, from the Bible's perspective, of anything from God that is completely sacred apart from spirituality, other than just pure sin. Right? Which is always a deviation of even good things. So so when you think about gifting, I, I want this passage seems to show us it's usually things you actually want. It's not some superpower that's a burden. It's not some jar of, of, of juice you're not sure when to use. It's things you actually notice about yourself that you're good at. Wow. What are your gifts? Uh, this is a really tough thing. I want you to, here's the running application that you're not going to actually be able to do in this setting, but at home. If you could go for, fast forward in time, you're sitting at home, you have a piece of paper, start listing things you like. Things you do. Things with your time. Not Don't do it like, ooh, is the pastor going to look at this? Or am I going to show this at a Bible study? Like, what do you like? Now, don't write down gross sins. We need to deal with those. We're talking about things you actually are proud of. Like, you know, maybe you like ty- types of food or, or types of craft beer or types of, uh, I don't know, exercise or poetry or literature. I mean, I'm just trying to... Okay, you write this list out. What are things you're good at? You know, maybe you make a list of things you're good at. You're good at helping and you're good at encouragement or you're good at study or you're good at whatever. And just begin to notice yourself and the way you are and begin to actually ask yourself, could these things be from God? Is that possible that he's gifted me in these ways, or that these are actually outflows of gifts that God has given me? And I want to just start there as we move into this sermon, because for many of us, I think it's our guilt, our own flesh that says, anything I like can't be from God. So here's my question for you. At this moment in this sermon, if I could hear everyone's answer, it'd be wonderful. But it would be like a real loud noise. So, would you ever want to spend time with your version of Jesus? Like, if you could, in your mind—not the version you would craft out slowly, but the one you really carry around in your conscience—is that someone you would actually want to hang out with? Right? Let me think about saying it another way. Just, do you think God would be boring? Or do you think God would just condemn you? If you had to invent what it would look like if God came into your life on a daily basis, is He going to walk up and go, what are you doing now? Get to work. Come on, speed it up. Why are you wasting your time? Why are you doing that? Is He going to just be negative? The reason I'm asking that question is Jesus actually came to earth. And it's amazing. You would think if Jesus came to earth, the first thing He would do is go, like, why are you doing that? And why are you wasting your time over there? But he shocked everybody, didn't he? Well, what's the first miracle Jesus performed? He turned water into wine at a wedding where they had already drank all the wine. They had drank all the wine. And you know, Mary comes to him and says, Can you make more wine? He could have said, for these sinners? These sloshes? Come on, it's time to go home. It's 10 o'clock tomorrow. He didn't say that. Now, I'm not advocating over drinking, and clearly in Scripture, I, I believe drunkenness is a sin. But, but the point is, he thought, this is a great miracle to show who I am. And there's much more going on there than just turning water into wine that I won't go into. But nonetheless, he was accused of being a, uh, a glutton. wasn't He was accused of being a drunkard at times. Not that he was that way, but just the Pharisees looked at him and just thought, he's wild, he's crazy, he's different. The woman at the well, he's sitting there at noon talking to a woman, and his own disciples are like, what are you doing? Chop, chop, let's get moving. This is a waste of your time. And the children sitting on his lap. What are you... Why are we taking all this time? Jesus is shocking. And I think if we're not careful, we read all of that in the Gospels, but we've developed this view of God that says, yeah, that's all great, but... The gifts that I have and the things that I like and, and the ways I'm built are probably not anything God would like or use. And I, I believe as we're looking at this passage, even though we know the Corinthians misuse these gifts and we learn that later, I want to just make sure we begin with understanding gifts are from God for His glory. Okay, But only, this is point number two, if they get their power from Jesus. That's tricky. This is all going to be really tricky. I thought this would be real easy to preach. Getting their power from Jesus. Last week I talked about this. I mentioned the highlight drawing and when you see the shapes. When you read this passage, um, if I paraphrase it, I could say Paul is thanking God for the gifts that he poured out in the Corinthians that would edify them for the day of the Lord. Something like that. That might be a quick paraphrase. But I'm going to now read the passage. And I wish I had somebody up here with a bell every time they heard any reference to God or Jesus. I might make a ding noise. We'll see. I give thanks to my God, ding, always for you because of the grace of God, ding, that was given you in Christ Jesus. Ding. Okay, that's enough dings. That in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like ding, 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 ding. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Ding, ding, ding. God, ding, is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship of His Son. His, God, Son, Jesus, ding, ding. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is saying... Listen, it's about Jesus. One of my greatest convictions in my own walk with Christ is that it becomes formulaic. It becomes about me doing things I'm supposed to do and Jesus is somewhat abstracted. But for Paul, Jesus is absolutely the realest thing he knows. And and it's like he can't even get a word out without mentioning Jesus and, and how Jesus is the one that gave you the gifts And he's the reason for the gifts, but ultimately he's the power source for the use of these gifts. I'm going to use an illustration with fear and trepidation, because I've got some golfers in the audience. But I did play golf growing up, so forget the the pros and the collegiate golfers in our midst and the high school golfers. Just think about Ryan trying to golf for a moment. Um, One of the things I would probably do on the putting green is tell myself, I'm going to make this putt of four feet or something. And then I would do what? I would say, it's for the masters. You know, it's for the, and I put all this pressure on myself. And then you watch these poor pros that go on, you know, you're watching, I won't name names, on the final hole with the two-foot putt, and they lip it out. I'm thinking, if they would have just practiced relaxing more and trusting themselves more. So here's, um, this is going to be an odd illustration, but here we go. What would happen if you could walk up to a, let's say, a Christian golfer who's got a four-foot putt for the win, and just kind of tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, take a break for a minute. Take a moment, okay? Chris would say, get out of here. I've got to make this putt. Amy the caddy would have just hit me in the face and never let me get anywhere near him. But, you know, if at that moment Jesus could come and say, I love you. Your worth is completely in me. Whether this ball goes in, that hole means nothing. All these people standing here, gone. The camera is gone. Right, It's not about your pocketbook because I'm your inheritance. It's all gone. All I want you to do, Jesus is saying, is just enjoy the stroke. Enjoy the hole. Enjoy the sound of the ball dropping. Just, Just do what you're designed to do. And I bet you that golfer would make that putt a lot more than with the fear and the pressure. Okay, how does that have to do with this? These two gifts, speech and wisdom, are missing something. These, these two gifts that Paul mentioned don't mention a verse that we, or a chapter in, this, in 1 Corinthians that we see later. So in chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, he talks about spiritual gifts. But he leaves out this point he makes in chapter 13. Now I told Doug that song we opened with is like a wedding song. Did you all think so? How beautiful. You hear that at weddings? Well, chapter 13 is like the wedding scripture but it's a beautiful chapter if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if i have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge okay tongues speech and knowledge right but i have no i have and if i have all faith so as, as to remove mountains but have not love i am nothing so Paul is setting the stage for these gifts are only useful if they're couched in love, which is Christ. So the golfer illustration is simply this it's not just golf, it's everything you watch on the Olympics, it's your everyday life. It's every time you try to talk to somebody or you try to do anything where you're motivating yourself with performance and 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 how am I doing and you're wondering if you're gonna make it and everything like that. All of that is you trying to carry out your gifting apart from God. But what would it look like to just rest in Jesus and live in Him as you carry out your daily life? That is what I think the power of Christ enabling our gifts looks like. Again, we could spend a a lot of time there. But I want to hit point three and then bring the two together. Not only is it that Christ empowers your gifting because you're doing it for Him and you're resting in Him, but the very point of the gifts that Paul talks about is they're aiming at Christ. They're aiming at Jesus. More specifically, they're aiming at His return. Look at verse 7 again. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the, go back to that list you're going to make at home later. You're going to write this list of things you like you're going to then turn everything into a gift. What's my gift? What are the gifts that I have in my life? Then, point two, you're going to go, how are those powered by Jesus? That's going to to sting, right? Because it's kind of like, I don't really do any of them for Jesus. It's time to repent. It's time to say, I'm doing everything in my life for me often, right? And then even more so, how many of the things that we do on a daily basis our goal of ushering Jesus in to, to earth to, to long for his return everyone's heads are down I love it it's not me this is really getting long but it's true like we really do say these things at church and then we go about our lives as if Jesus is not real or he's never returning we're just kind of hanging out on planet earth and then one day it's going to be our time boom we're dead and then back to Jesus again right But the Bible, and for Paul, it's Jesus is actually coming into your midst right now. He is longing to come into your world today. And I think the reason we struggle with that is we don't see the daily life we have as being something God cares about. It's all spiritual, sacred, and secular. But if you begin to go, okay, He wants me to have a house, that's a load off. Because most of us are so guilty if we like our homes. Or He actually wants me to drive a vehicle. He actually wants me to study, to build, have a relationship, to develop a hobby, to exercise, to paint, to draw. He wants you to do life, because he designed it that way, but he wants you to do it for his glory. And then point number three, what we're dealing with, and he wants you to do it longing for his arrival, wanting him to return. What would it look like if we began to utilize the gifts he gave us to bring beauty to the earth? Right? Isn't, I mean, not just in hospitals and in, in evangelism, beautiful and critical things, but economics and, and, and in art and in science and in politics. Just name your discipline. We need Jesus to reign in those areas. I remember I've heard that Billy Graham, part of his success is that they send out, and I think we've experienced this in Oklahoma City recently, they send out pastors and people and teams for months and months to go around and get people ready for the crusade has anyone heard that i'm probably butchering the process but and this is not a knot on billy graham and, the, and whitfield had a similar i mean not quite like that but he had a process too but so billy graham comes in and all this groundwork had been laid for the gospel isn't that what the saints what we are we're out there laying the groundwork for the return of christ see jesus made when god jesus made earth all things are by him and through him he made it beautiful he didn't make it with fluffy clouds and harpsichords. That's not where we're going. He made this planet for the things you like to reign here. And we are called to bring those things in and to make them better and, more, and to make him famous. I had a professor who once who said this, and this is, I've said it before, and you may think that's really bad English. God don't make junk, and he don't junk what he made. In other words, he didn't make this gorgeous garden. Then the fall happened. It's like, forget all humanity. Forget mountains and rivers. It's all trash. We'll have clouds and harpsichords and wings. That's not what he did. He's going to come back and remake a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what he's doing right now through you, the church? He's creating that right now. We need better art, better music, better computer programming. Everything you think of that's a gifting can be made better in Christ? Is that your passion? Is that what you feel like God's called you to do? Are you excited by that? The things that get you excited, He made those things. So we can do them in Him. So you have this long list of things. And you realize everything that I like, children, cars, houses, occupation, areas of study, hobbies, etc. Jesus empowers me right? We talked about point two, but in point three, and they're for His glory, but that will only work if your Jesus is not boring. If your Jesus is just saying stop and have a quiet time. Stop what you're doing and just read your Bible only. You need to read your Bible. You need to worship. We all need to, but we do those things to equip us to go into our lives and carry out the gifting He's given us. We do it for His glory. So, I'm sure I've Made a lot of mistakes this morning, so I'm going to make one final one and read a long quote, but it's really good, and I've read it about a dozen times, so many of you have heard it, and you'll know where we're going with this. C.S. Lewis says things better than anyone else can. So what do you do if you're a pastor? You can paraphrase, you can act like it was your idea, or you can just read C.S. Lewis. That's what I'm going to do. This is the last page of Mere Christianity. So if you read Mere Christianity, make sure you read the last page. Most books are done three-quarters of the way through. Author's finished. Not C.S. Lewis. Here's what he says. And he's ta- Okay, I'm going to set it up. He's talking about the need to pursue all the things we're talking about as we pursue Christ. And his point is, when you take your eyes off Christ and look at yourself, problems. Okay? But there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to Him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you are not going to Him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about yourself altogether. Your real self, that is your new self, which is Christ. It's also yours, but it's Christ's, he says. It will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, from more everyday matters. Listen to these examples. They're perfect. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. I mean, you know, every time you're talking to someone and you're trying to be cool and your eyes are kind of drifting off, you're thinking, what am I saying next? They're, they're, they've lost you. You're done. That's why I have no friends. He says, even literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original, whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without carrying two pence, that must be some British form of money, uh, how often it's been told before, you will become original without ever noticing it. Again, if, you, if you're trying to be the coolest new painting um, whatever style, it's not going to work. If you go paint a beautiful painting that you love, that's where originality comes from, right? The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, So if you're just living for yourself, looking at yourself, you'll find in the long run, hatred, sorry, where am I? Loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Last sentence. But look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him, everything else thrown in. Wow. That could have been the whole sermon, just reading that last page. Are you looking for? for Christ, and are you willing to empty yourself with the use of your gifts, with the use of your whole life? If so, you will flourish. C.S. Lewis is a pretty good example of a guy that flourished, right? But if you don't do that, if you hold on to the things that you love and you use them for yourself and your gifts that God has given you are for you only, they're just going to be like sand slipping through the fingers, and in the end you'll have decay and ruin. So let us look to Christ. Let us serve Him. Let us be encouraged that He is the giver of good things. But the way up to Christ is through death. That is, dying to our own passions, our own desires, our own needs apart from Him. Let's pray. Jesus, teach us to believe You are good. Forgive us for deforming You in our minds and our flesh. Teach us to come back to Your Word over and over, to sing Your praises. Lord, not out of some sick sense of duty, but out of passion, out of the fact that Your Word reveals who You are, that Your Spirit dwells with us, and that we can learn about our calling and our gifting and the roles You've called us to in life and how they can glorify You. Lord, help us to do that even without knowing how that's going to take place, but just by looking into Your eyes, by offering our lives to You every day. Lord, I pray that Grace Church would grow as a church that sings your praises, that, that in every discipline represented here in this congregation, we would flourish. Lord, that this is a gifted congregation. May it be used for your glory. Amen.